Kiara Williams knew who she was and what she wanted. And at 19, she was stepping into a fearless version of herself, ready to build a life and career she was proud of. But that never happened. Instead, her family and authorities have spent years throwing paint at a wall and trying to see what sticks. So far, nothing has. But maybe, with some more attention on this case, that can change. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'd like you to meet a young woman from Greensboro, North Carolina. In 2016, she enrolled in college to become a teacher. But just before her classes began, she disappeared from the same apartment complex she called home. Her name is Tiara Williams. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The location of today's disappearance is important. So I'm going to do my best to set the stage for you. Greensboro, North Carolina is a medium-sized city with a population of about 300,000. It's centrally located in the state, about 200 miles from the coast. It's maybe best known as home to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, one of the largest colleges in the region. It's also a regular host of the ACC Men's Basketball Tournament Championship. The southern outskirts of the city look like your typical East Coast American suburbia, lots of tree-lined streets and single-family homes. And that's where the Stony Brook Apartments are. The complex is made up of about 20 two-story buildings scattered around manicured lawns and pavement. Based on pictures, it looks like every four to five buildings share a parking lot. The apartments are pretty standard, crisp and somewhat modern looking. Pine cabinets, vinyl floors, beige carpet, white walls. There are a bunch of amenities on the grounds for residents, like a tennis court, a playground, a picnic area with a grill, a pool, and a 24-hour fitness center. The perimeter of the complex is shrouded in trees and greenery, which help block the view of the commercial businesses nearby. Across the street to the south is a massive semi-truck lot and trucking company headquarters. Beyond that is a large swath of private woods. By the fall of 2013, Tierra Williams has called Stony Brook home for a while. She moved to the complex with her mother Danielle and younger brother Cannon after her parents separated. 
Tierra was about seven or eight at the time. She's 17 now. Tierra's grandmother, Vanessa, has lived in Stony Brook for even longer. When Danielle first moved in, she rented an apartment in the same building as her mother to make the transition from mom to single mom just a little easier. She knew she'd always have a family member close by to lend a hand, and if Vanessa was ever unavailable, she could also call Tierra and Cannon's grandfather, Daryl. Growing up, Tierra was fiercely protective of her younger brother. Danielle jokes that Tierra acts like a second mom to Cannon. Tierra and Danielle have always had a strong relationship themselves. But according to Danielle, she can sometimes be pretty hard on her daughter. They have their fair share of mother-daughter fights. In interviews, Danielle doesn't go into specifics about what these fights are about. But from everything else I've gathered, social media is definitely one of them. Tierra's in high school and has had a Facebook account for a while now. But she only got one after agreeing to Danielle's terms, which included giving her mom access so Danielle could monitor her online activity. This is mostly just for peace of mind, or in case of an emergency. Danielle hasn't made a habit of snooping on her daughter. She doesn't feel like she needs to. She trusts Tierra enough. She doesn't need to know what she's up to online 24-7. Like a lot of people her age, Tierra is basically glued to her phone. Tierra's family points out that she always looks like she's scrolling through Facebook or texting someone, even when she's hanging out with friends in person. It's something her grandfather, Daryl, doesn't understand. Daryl's from a different generation. He's gruff and charming. He formerly worked as a bail bondsman, so he's not one to mince words. And if he's being honest, he thinks Tierra uses the word friend a little too liberally. He's never heard of or met half of his granddaughter's alleged friends, which he thinks is a little strange. It's something that crosses Danielle's mind too from time to time. When she catches a rare glimpse of Tierra's phone messages, she hardly ever recognizes the person her daughter's speaking to. For all she knows, Tierra's never actually met some of them in person. And that can be worrying. Now, I'm not a parent, but as someone who spends a lot of time online, I understand Danielle's fears. The internet is a powerful tool. It can create so much good, but it can also be downright scary. Studies show that online harassment is on the rise and it's getting more severe. Physical threats, sexual harassment, stalking, it can be hard for anyone to tell if the person they're speaking with is actually the person they say they are or a complete stranger. Anyone can be anonymous online and that makes it easy to abuse trust and take advantage of young people with kind hearts. People like Tierra. Of course, Tierra doesn't live in a purely digital world. Nobody does. Living so close, Tierra often drops by her grandmother's place for dinner. She loves Vanessa's cooking all the grandkids do. And Vanessa's used to cooking up big meals for everyone. In the spring of 2014, Tierra pays Vanessa a visit. And before dinner's over, she makes a surprise announcement. Tierra says she's been thinking about it and doesn't know if Vanessa should be living on her own anymore at her age. Tierra pitches the idea of moving into her grandmother's second bedroom. That way she can help out around the house. It's a sweet proposal, very considerate but it's likely not entirely selfless. Vanessa jokes that Tierra wants to move in because she prefers her grandma's cooking. But it seems like the whole family understands the real underlying reason. Tierra's an adult now and may be craving a little space from her mother. This is a fairly safe way for Tierra to get some of that independence, 
Besides, it's not like she's going far, just a few hundred feet down a sidewalk. So before summer begins, as Tiara finishes up her senior year, she moves in with her grandmother, and the change seems to work out. Graduating from high school can be a stressful time, but Danielle and Tiara actually start fighting less. Tiara laser focuses on her schoolwork, graduates as expected, and decides to take a gap year. Before committing to any college, she wants to figure out what she actually wants to do next, which honestly, I think is a pretty smart and mature decision. Over the next year, Tiara works food service jobs for income. She starts dating a 23-year-old guy who also lives at Stony Brook, Aaron Taylor. It's possible he's not someone Tiara sees herself spending the rest of her life with, but everyone thinks Aaron's nice, and he gets along well with Tiara's younger brother, Cannon. By the fall of 2015, Tiara decides what she wants to do with her life, and that's to pursue a career working with young children and people with disabilities. So she enrolls at Guilford Technical Community College, studying early childhood development. The nearest campus is only a 15 minute drive from Stony Brook, so Tiara can save some money by living with Vanessa while she finishes her degree. Danielle's proud of her daughter and excited about her future. At 19, it feels like Tiara's found her path and is really stepping into herself. She even deactivates her Facebook account to prepare herself for focusing on her studies. The holidays come and go before the spring semester of school starts. On the morning of January 7th, 2016, Tiara squares away some last minute paperwork and officially enrolls as a college freshman. Afterward, she heads to her mom's apartment to help take down the Christmas tree. The way her mom describes it, the day sounds straight out of a movie. Tara's beaming with excitement from the moment she walks in the door. She tells Danielle all about the classes she signed up for, how excited she is for her program to start. Danielle soaks it all in like a proud mother. She even offers to take Tiara shopping tomorrow to buy her school books and a new laptop. As Tiara plucks the last ornaments off the Christmas tree, Aaron pops over to the house. He sits on the couch playing video games with Cannon. Come dinner time, Tiara, Aaron, and Cannon head across the walkway to Vanessa's apartment. She's made Tiara's favorite meal, beef stew, possibly to celebrate her enrollment. After dinner, Aaron and Cannon flop onto the couch and turn on the TV to watch some sports. Tiara sits next to them, scrolling on her phone. For Vanessa, this is a familiar picture, her granddaughter glued to her screen. Sometime around 8.30 p.m., Tiara picks up her head and says she needs to go meet a friend, someone named Travis. She shouldn't be gone for more than an hour. Neither Aaron nor Cannon recognize the name Travis, but they don't ask any follow-up questions. Tiara's always had an active social life, so a quick visit to a friend doesn't seem that strange. Maybe Tiara needs to pick something up, or maybe her friend's having a hard time and just needs someone to talk to. It's chilly outside, so Tiara, Aaron, and Cannon throw on jackets and walk down the stairs to the parking lot together. They eventually part ways. The boys head towards Aaron's apartment. Tiara crosses the parking lot alone. An hour later, Tiara loses contact with everyone in her life. Her phone either dies or someone turns it off. Around 8.30 p.m. on the night of January 7th, 2016, Tiara Williams leaves to meet up with a friend someone named Travis. She's only supposed to be gone an hour, but by 9.30, her boyfriend Aaron Taylor hasn't heard from her. He goes back to Vanessa's apartment and waits for her to come home. 
He keeps texting her to see if she'll respond, peeking out the window. He expects to see his girlfriend walking across the parking lot and up the stairs any minute now. But eventually, it gets so late that Aaron falls asleep. He wakes up the next morning early, but right before he has to leave. He has a 7 a.m. appointment to get to, so he rushes out the door. As far as I can tell, Aaron doesn't say anything to Vanessa about Tierra being gone at this point. She's still not home, but he must figure she's gotta be back by the time his appointment's over. By late morning, Tierra's been gone for well over 12 hours. Worried, Aaron finally calls Danielle, who calls Vanessa, who calls Aaron, who calls Danielle again. Nobody's seen or talked to Tierra since last night, and her phone is still off, going straight to voicemail. Obviously, this is not like Tierra. If her battery ran out, she would have found a way to charge her phone and let someone know where she was. And even if she couldn't find a charger, she would have been able to get home without it. Aaron and Danielle meet up around 12.30 p.m. And this is when Aaron first tells Tierra's mom about Travis, the guy Tierra left to go meet. Danielle also doesn't recognize the name. No one in the family does. Once the severity of what's happening sets in, Danielle's not too happy with Aaron. She's thinking, really? Your girlfriend's meeting up with a strange man after dark and you're okay with that? But Aaron explains that he trusts Tierra. He would never discourage her from doing anything she wanted to do. But as sweet as that sentiment may be, it doesn't provide Danielle with any sense of calm. She immediately launches into mom detective mode. Step one, figure out who this mysterious Travis is. Knowing Tierra, Danielle thinks Travis could be one of the dozens of people her daughter met through Facebook. So she reactivates and logs into Tierra's Facebook and starts scrolling. She combs through her daughter's friend list, but she doesn't find anyone with the first or last name Travis, not even someone who might go by Travis like as a nickname. So Danielle goes a step further. She starts reading Tierra's Facebook messages and she learns something pretty shocking. Tierra's been communicating with her ex-boyfriend. His name hasn't been released to the public, so to protect his identity, I'll call him Chris. Danielle describes Chris as your typical bad boy with a car, that guy every teenager wants to date in high school until they realize the relationship is more trouble than it's worth. Tierra broke up with Chris a while back. Danielle had no idea they were still in touch, but the messages clearly show they were. And from what Danielle can tell, Tierra and Chris met up once or twice earlier that week. By the time Danielle logs off Facebook, she's convinced that Chris and Travis are the same person. Tierra could have told Aaron a fake name so he wouldn't get upset. And the fact that her daughter might have gone to meet Chris worries Danielle. She never really liked him or thought he was a good influence. Around 8 p.m. on the night of January 8th, approximately 24 hours after Tierra was last seen, Danielle calls the police. Authorities arrive at Stony Brook in no time, and based on everything they learn, they don't believe Tierra disappeared willingly. First of all, she was extremely close with her family and excited about the future. Plus, she left her purse and phone charger at home, all telltale signs that she wasn't planning on being gone long. But what worries them the most is, there hasn't been any activity on Tierra's phone in the past 24 hours. No Facebook messages, no texts, no activity for an entire day. Danielle tries not to jump to the worst case scenario. She pushes her negative thoughts aside. 
and together with her family, she comes up with a plan on what to do next. The following week, everyone wakes up early. They canvass the Stony Brook apartment complex and surrounding area on foot. None of their neighbors remember seeing Tierra that night. By Monday, Tierra's case gets assigned to the Greensboro PD's Crimes Against Persons Squad. After reviewing the facts, investigators are eager to talk to Tierra's ex-boyfriend, Chris. When they sit down, Chris first tells officials that he never spoke to Tierra, but when the interviewers say that they have evidence to the contrary, Chris apparently changes his story. Now, not only did he talk to Tierra on the night she disappeared, he saw her as well, thereby confirming everyone's suspicions that Chris was Travis. This is crucial information, because as far as investigators are concerned, Chris was the last person to see Tierra that night. So they press him further to walk through what exactly happened. Turns out, Tierra didn't travel very far that night. Chris told investigators that he drove to the Stony Brook apartment complex and arrived around 8.30 p.m. He met up with Tierra on the other side of the apartment complex. They spent about 20, maybe 30 minutes talking in his car. Then she left and headed toward home. As far as what happened to her next, he claims he doesn't know. And he's not alone. Nobody knows what happened next. But Chris's account does seem to match up with intel authorities gather from Tierra's cell phone. Based on GPS data, Tierra's phone traveled to a parking lot on the other side of the Stony Brook complex. It stayed there for about 30 minutes, presumably while Tierra was talking with Chris. Then it started moving back toward her grandmother's place. But right before she would have arrived at the apartment around 9 p.m., the GPS signal stopped. Her phone shut off. Now, there's no way to confirm whether all the movements were Tierra. Someone else could have taken her phone or it could have been in a moving vehicle before it powered down. Detectives obtain a search warrant for Chris's car and phone. They look through his text messages. They apparently don't find anything of note in his car. And for some reason, officials apparently aren't able to access Chris's GPS data to confirm where he went after this conversation with Tierra. But I don't know if that's still true. Because this is an open case, detectives are rightfully tight-lipped about the details. I don't know whether they consider Chris a person of interest, let alone a suspect, or if police believe Tierra encountered someone else in the parking lot that night. And unfortunately, Tierra's family is in the same boat. In the weeks after Tierra's disappearance, all her loved ones can do is try and paint a picture with the information that they have, and it's not an easy task. Assuming everyone is telling the truth, nothing about this case makes much sense. How could Tierra have vanished into thin air in a split second, a few hundred feet from her home without any of her neighbors seeing something out of the ordinary? But while this case may be unsolved, there have been a considerable amount of leads. People have claimed to see Tierra all over America, some as far away as California. And her grandfather, Daryl, has chased as many tips as he can. In the wake of Tierra Williams' disappearance in January 2016, her family and friends canvassed the Stony Brook apartment complex and surrounding grounds. The Greensboro PD does as well, but there's a lot of land to cover. Stony Brook is only four minutes away from the interstate. Because Tierra went missing so quickly without a trace, if she met with foul play, it's reasonable to assume her abductor had a car. 
So authorities search everywhere for her. Investigators bring in tracking dogs on two separate occasions, once to the apartment complex and a second time to the lot across the street. But in both instances, the dogs fail to pick up Tierra's scent. A week after Tierra goes missing, Danielle starts a Facebook page called Help Find Tierra Kasik Williams. The page gets over 8,000 likes within the next couple weeks. Like I said, the internet is a double-edged sword. It can be scary, but it can also create a lot of good. Tierra's family uses social media to organize search efforts. Her grandfather, Daryl, is especially active, posting about different locations they plan to search. Volunteers show up to help comb the woods and neighborhoods. In time, Daryl sets up a $10,000 reward fund for anyone who can help bring Tierra home safely, and he posts about it online. Once he does, the tips start rolling in. About 10 days after Tierra goes missing, her grandfather gets a phone call from a sanitation worker in a nearby town. While driving his route, he saw a girl who matched Tierra's description walking down a side street. She seemed dazed, totally out of it, possibly drugged. Then Daryl receives a second call that's eerily similar to the first, this time from someone in Greensboro. They saw a woman in a dark jacket slowly wandering down a road called Textile Drive, only about a 10-minute drive from Stony Brook. The leads are cause for alarm, and Daryl does his best to investigate, but he's not able to find the woman they described, whoever she was. By early February, an advertising agency called Fairway Outdoor lends a hand at Tierra's case. They donate 18 billboards and convert them into missing person ads all across the Tri-City area. It's a huge donation. A single standard billboard can cost up to several thousands of dollars per month, but they can be extremely effective. Every day, thousands of people now see Tierra's face on their daily commutes. It's attention Tierra's case hasn't received up until this point, and it begins a snowball effect. Before long, Danielle starts getting calls from members of the press, asking for interviews and additional information about her daughter. In the meantime, the family continues their boots on the ground efforts. They hang flyers, knock on doors. They'll speak to every resident in Greensboro if they have to. By early February, it seems like the whole city knows about Tierra's disappearance. Everyone's on the lookout for a 19-year-old black woman, five foot, five inches tall, 120 pounds, with long brown hair and brown eyes. And yet, no substantial leads come in, until April. Four months after Tierra disappeared, Danielle gets a message through the Find Tierra Facebook page. It's from a food server working in a waffle house in Jessup, Georgia. 400 miles from Greensboro, the server says that a young woman matching Tierra's description has been coming into the restaurant recently, several nights a week, for the past few weeks. She apparently shows up with a group of women, but according to this server, she doesn't look like she belongs. While the others talk and laugh, she sits at the end of the table, eyes down, and never speaks. Now, whether or not the server states it outright, the family walks away with an understanding that this group of women may be sex workers. The account reminds them of those earlier tips they received, the ones about a woman who looked like Tierra wandering the streets in a daze. Ever since those phone calls, everyone has been wondering whether Tierra may have been trafficked. So after hearing about this group of women at the Waffle House, Tierra's grandfather, Daryl, decides to make the six-hour drive from Greensboro, North Carolina to Jessup, Georgia. When he arrives, he heads inside the Waffle House and sits down at a table. 
Meanwhile, the rest of Tierra's family gathers in Greensboro. They hover by the phone, anxious to hear how it goes. After so many months of dead ends, their hopes are high. But back in Georgia, the group of women never show. Daryl camps out for days at the Waffle House without seeing them. The waitstaff tells him that the young women may be staying somewhere close by though, possibly in one of the local motels. So Daryl pays a few of them a visit until finally he gets lucky. After Daryl shows pictures of his granddaughter and describes the group of women to a motel manager, the manager says he knows the group he's talking about. An associate of theirs stays at his motel. The women visit him every night and the manager is pretty confident Tierra's with them. Filled with adrenaline, Daryl calls the Jessup police who take on the investigation and start knocking on doors. Police locate the group of women the Waffle House server identified. But when officers ask if Tierra Williams is with them, they shake their heads, no. They check IDs and confirm Tierra isn't there. The news crushes Tierra's family. For a second, they let themselves get excited. They dreamed of Daryl scooping up their baby and bringing her back home safely. But instead, it's another dead end. In the months that follow, alleged sightings of Tierra trickle in from across the country. Daryl becomes like a real life version of Liam Neeson's character in Taken. He follows up on the new leads, sometimes driving thousands of miles. He says one thing he's learned from his time as a bail bondsman is that you have to keep going. Wear people down, continue asking questions, and eventually someone will say something. Answers will come. So that's what he does. Daryl infiltrates bars and clubs suspected of aiding and abetting trafficking. He learns the ins and outs of a criminal underworld he never imagined getting mixed up in. Anytime he meets up with someone who might have information, he tells them plain and simple, you bring me Tierra, I'll give you $10,000 cash right now. As spring turns to summer, Danielle tells investigators that maybe they should look into Tierra's boyfriend, Aaron. According to her, Tierra was planning on breaking up with him. Now, as most of us know, when it comes to cases of foul play, domestic partners are statistically the most likely culprit. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. Aaron was with Cannon at the time of Tierra's disappearance. And ever since, he's been totally cooperative with the police. It's understandable that they might not consider him a person of interest, but I wanted to bring this accusation up because I think it highlights the emotional toll disappearances have on those left behind. On a mother desperate for answers, who's angry and hurt. Sometimes when pain has nowhere to go, it can be misdirected. But that doesn't mean compassion can't still prevail. When Aaron learns that Danielle asked police to look into him, a heavy weight of betrayal rushes over him. He's already been blaming himself for not doing more that night, regretting not questioning Tierra about her plans. He tells Investigation Discovery's documentary series Disappeared that Tierra's disappearance sent him into a depression. He says sometimes he doesn't feel like he has anything to live for. And yet, Aaron has had a hard time holding a grudge against Danielle because he believes that whatever he's feeling, it's 10 times worse for Tierra's mom. As of this recording, everyone who loves Tierra is still without answers. In November of 2020, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a video of Tierra's photos, hoping it might drum up new leads. 
Tiara would have turned 26 on June 18, 2022. As of this recording, it seems police have run out of viable leads. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. People don't disappear without a trace. Someone out there knows something about what happened to Tiara. And if that person is listening right now, her family asks that you please come forward with information. Danielle says they can do it privately. It doesn't matter so long as Tiara comes home. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to finish this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. If you have any information regarding Tiara's disappearance, you're asked to contact Crime Stoppers at 336-373-1000 or the Greensboro Police Department at 336-373-2222. For more information on cases like Tiara Williams and what you can do to help, please visit the Black and Missing Foundation at bamfi.org. The Black and Missing Foundation is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to bring awareness to missing persons of color, provide vital resources and tools to missing persons' families and friends, and to educate the minority community on personal safety. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances stars Sarah Turney and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Disappearances was written by Aaron Lan, edited by Amber Von Schassen and Connor Sampson. Fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Mickey Taylor, and produced by Aaron Larson. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice.